Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Pasa Maynard de Pío Mamillán. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. We did it. We are the ultimate fighting champions of England. Community Shield champions of the world. The <laughs> Arsenal. Let's call it the Super Cup, the English Super Cup. I'm sure that will make it feel more proper. Somebody actually referred to it as that in a thing I saw this morning somewhere, whether it was a question for the show or a comment somewhere. I apologize. I've lost it. But I did see somebody refer to it as um, the Super Cup. Um, I'm not sure we can go that far, but we'll we'll get into it. We'll get into the super uh, amazing Community Shield. Uh, a big, a big um, high point in what I have to say was a weekend of profound disappointment for me, James. Um, Why is that? Well, I went to the shops on Saturday to buy stuff and food, and I bought what I thought was a big pack of Reese's Pieces, kind of you know the ones with the hard shell and the kind of stuff in the middle. You know yeah, those ones, yeah. yeah. Delicious. Yeah, delicious. Only only it's like little bits of peanut butter. That's all. There's no shell, no chocolate, no nothing. It's just little kind of peanut, half peanut shaped bits of peanut butter. What are you going to do with them? Eat them, I suppose. I mean, it would be a shame to waste <laughs> Eat them, them. sadly. <laughs> sadly, I just sort of... <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, but anyway... That is misleading. It's it like is. sometimes you think something's a big box of chocolate and it's just one big chocolate. You know, that's always confusing. Yeah, well. I mean, look, there was, a, I suppose, a handy hint on the packet itself if one were to sure. read the actual thing on the packet. But that I just is saw, asking too much. I just saw the orange and the Reese's Pieces and I, I felt the bag and I assumed... I assumed, but there you go. Mm. Um, yes, Community Shield, Arsenal won. We are uh, champions of the world. We're going to have to do something a little bit different on this podcast, James, because, you know, because of the, the, the indifference I had before the game, yeah, which you were quite quick to point out uh, after I enjoyed <laughs> <laughs> after I enjoyed that Aubameyang goal. Yeah. I didn't do any player ratings on Arsblog News, and a lot of people were sort of going, where's the player ratings? Some people were quite angry. Where's the player ratings, you bastard? One guy even on Twitter said, so we won't get player ratings on a hashtag Community Shield game? Your bias is extraordinary. 
<laughs> I don't quite know what that bias You're very is. biased against the community, the Arsplog community, who are up in arms. And at Shields. The player ratings. Yes. Shields. Shields have been greatly offended as mm. well. So at some point we'll do some very quick player ratings uh, as we get towards the end of the, uh, the discussion about this. So maybe towards the end of part one we'll do some very quick player ratings just to keep the player ratings people happy and to assure all of you the player ratings will return when the Premier League season starts over on Arsblog News and you can do your own player ratings as always we'll be rating the shit out of the players don't worry so there you go exciting times ahead no, sorry I should uh, ask anything um, strange or untoward happened to you this weekend before we get into things no not, not as far as I can remember so that's promising that's good I mean uh, go on. It feels like you know something. No, no, no. I was going to say, unless you've had some kind of uh, trauma which you've blacked out. Yeah, it could be that. Because mm. Arsenal did win, so presumably it was a very powerful blow. Are you paralysed? Sorry, I should have said, yes. I've lost all the movement of my arms and legs. Sorry, okay. I, yeah. But I forgot. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll tell you what. I really enjoy the Community Shield. And what I really... What drove me mad, by the way was certain people on the internet, uh, some fans, mainly it's journalists who wind me up, sort of criticising Arsenal for celebrating winning this game. (laughs) What were they supposed to do? Just stand there, manly handshake, well done, chaps, let's go home now. That's it. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, like it would have been, uh, they would have been accused of treating the community shield with disrespect if they'd done anything other than celebrate it. it. I think it's... Ridiculous, And actually, you know, Wilds fans, I think we don't take this game hugely seriously. And I think that's absolutely right. One of the things that's been really obvious in lockdown is that the players, um, the players' feelings about a match are kind of not necessarily determined by the fans. You know, when, when it's a high-stakes game, they celebrate every victory or mourn every loss just as much as if there were fans there or not. Yeah. And I thought it was really telling that, it, you know, by the time we got to the penalty shootout, I mean, those Liverpool players, they had their hands over their eyes, they were, you know, had their arms around each other. They did not want to lose this game. Yeah. Uh, and I think Arsenal's players really did want to win it and bring it home, and, and they did, so they should enjoy that. Of course, it's just the nature of sport in itself. Like, every game you exactly. play, whether it's a game of five-a-side, a game of Sunday League, the Community Shield, the Champions League final, if you're playing in it, you want to win it. And I think you're absolutely right to point that out. Like, nobody's nobody's going around saying the, the Community Shield is the greatest trophy that you can win in football or anything like that, which, you know, is a complete straw man. But the idea that you shouldn't celebrate winning a game against the champions at Wembley, you know, in a penalty shootout with the drama and everything else that comes with that, it is absolutely absurd to... Mm. Uh, to criticise that in any way, I, yeah, I mean, I saw one journalist in particular sort of pick on one of the players, um, and he's, I think it was a tweet from Kalasinac saying like, oh, first trophy of the season, and it was like, well, actually, it's not really a trophy. You know? That's the one that really yeah, got yeah, my goat, I have what to a say. fucking <laughs> load of bullshit that is. Fuck <laughs> off. I say that as somebody who before the game was not that interested in it and not particularly invested in the outcome of the game one way or the other. But as soon as it started, I have, you know, I was into it. I was like, okay, let's do this. Let's, you know, when I thought Liverpool had scored, I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And yeah, then they yeah, didn't. Yeah. And then we scored that great goal. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, let's go. Let's do this. It's football. It's, it's competitive. And it's two, two teams who are really going to have a go at each other. 
And that's partly informed by the players. I mean, I think it was obvious, you know, they went there trying to get a result mm. and it's not like the game descended into fast you know there were six substitutions available but it was actually quite a long time before anyone made yeah. to my slight surprise to be honest um, so you know it, it was a, a proper game and kind of tactically it was sort of more of the same really I mean you know it's interesting Arsenal ended the season with this run of big games playing in a certain system in a certain style Um and maybe it's not the worst idea to kind of carry that on into the new season because our, our fixture list at the start of the Premier League is is pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, there's an element of if it ain't broke, don't fix yeah. it. You know, and when you've beaten Liverpool, I know it was a slightly fortuitous victory against them in the Premier League, but when you've beaten them, when you've beaten Manchester City, when you've beaten Chelsea playing a certain way, it doesn't make much sense to go for something new and radical, particularly mm. when, as Mikel Arteta said beforehand, we've only had two training sessions, you know, so... Yeah. You know, the idea that he could implement some new kind of strategy, formation, game plan, anything like that just just isn't realistic. If it ain't broke, and also if you have no time, <laughs> don't fix it, yeah. basically. Yeah, true, true. Um, and I think, you know, that probably played into the the selection to an extent. I mean, you know, William Saliba was there, he was available, he could have played, but uh, I just wonder if he didn't want to quite throw him in at the deep end. And in Rob Holding, he's got someone who was coached and had played in that system you know under him mm. three what was it three four weeks ago so kind of made sense to to lean into that really yeah I mean look I, I can understand not picking Saliba for a game like this you know his introduction into English football you know there there aren't many uh, forward lines as good as Liverpool's and you know if it had gone wrong you, you throw this guy in and maybe dent his confidence before things even get going so I understood the selection I suppose one of the interesting parts of it is is the is the fact that holding on the day of the game uh, David Ornstein reporting that he set to go on loan uh, to Newcastle um we'll, we'll talk about that later because we've got a we've got a, a question or two about that but you know there were other players as well of course in Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Emmy Martinez who had been linked away uh, linked with moves away but I suppose you can look at, and Arteta said this afterwards, his selection of players as a show of faith, and in particular Maitland-Niles, he again made the point that the best way he can demonstrate faith in him and his desire to, you know, to have him in the squad and to show him that he thinks he is a good player who has a future here is to play him in games like this. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think... We've got a question we'll probably get onto later, which sort of projects forward about where Maitland-Niles, if he does stay, goes from here and where his sort of long-term mm. prospects are. But I thought it was a show of faith and, you know, one that was rewarded. I mean, Maitland-Niles had an excellent game. He was given the official man of the match. Um, I loved that moment where he went one-on-one -on -one with Sadio Mane inside yeah. the penalty box, you know, accelerated, caught him up. We were, we were talking about that. We were on um, chatting on WhatsApp. Um, yeah. you know, during the game. And, and that was a moment for me where I, you know, I've been able to to look at his situation and look at the kind of player that he is and look at, you know, is he a first pick in any particular position or, you know, all that kind of stuff that you can, you can do the mental gymnastics and you can say, well, look, if we get X amount of money for him and we can replace him with him, blah, blah, blah. But I was looking at that and I was looking at, you know, some of the things that, that Arteta has been saying about him and the way that he's, uh, I think he used the phrase, changed his behavior um, earlier in the season. And, and 
I sort of had a, not a U-turn, but I was like, no, this just doesn't feel right anymore. The idea of letting Maitland-Niles go. And I, I guess in some ways there's a, an element of recency bias because of the performances that he's had. Mm. But I just feel like when a player shows you that kind of thing, you have to respect it. You have to kind of view it in the context in which it's coming. And this is a guy who was out in the cold um, for a long time under Mikel Arteta and, and made his way back in and has become somebody who the manager depends on. I think when you're squad building and you're looking to generate something um, within the squad as well, like a culture which shows you that if you do this, if you work hard, if you behave this way, you get a chance in the team. And if you get a chance in the team and you play well, your reward shouldn't be being sold to Wolves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and to be fair, I don't think it was that he was sort of being bombed out the club necessarily. I think a few months ago, Ainsley Maitland-Niles wanted to leave Arsenal. I think that mm. was kind of, you know, he felt that that's what he needed to do. Whether that is the case now, I don't know. And a few things have happened that have dramatically increased his transfer value. I think his performances in the Cup Final and the Community Shield are part of that. I think being called up to the England squad, yeah. there's such a premium on England internationals. If he wins a cap for the England team, I think that sticks five million, ten million on your price straight away almost in terms of, you know, what it kind of projects forward for him. I also think that the value in Maitland Niles is that he is such a useful player. And I know that it's sort of been a bit of a problem for him in the past because he's been shunted around in different positions. But in this game, he was almost playing two positions in the same match. You know, he was kind of the starting left wing back. But when Arsenal had the ball, he was playing as sort of the third central midfielder. And there were times when Aubameyang scores his goal, Maitland-Niles has run beyond him. He's by the penalty spot or something. Mm. He was really, I mean, doing quite a complicated tactical job incredibly well incredibly efficiently and I think that's something that is sometimes a bit underestimated in football you know a player's ability to enact instructions and he does seem to really have that gift if you give him a job he can do it and for Mm. a coach that's super valuable yeah and maybe when we talk about Maitland-Niles and his long-term future the idea of him playing in midfield is something that's been touted quite a lot even Mm. though we haven't really seen it but maybe it's part of an education maybe if we get a back three sorted and Gabriel comes in and Kieran Tierney is playing as that kind of left wing back and and you know there might be space uh, to move Maitland-Niles somewhere more central um Mm -hmm. you know particularly at a time when we need uh, options in central midfield because so much is up in the air as we were speaking about on the Arsecast on on Friday. Um, yeah, look, he gives a re- you cover in so many areas, doesn't he? Because he can yeah. play. If you want to play a back four, he can potentially play either fullback position. He can play wing back roles. He can play central midfield. He can play uh, wide, right? You know, going forward. So he's a very very useful mm. player to have around. I mean, the, the situation with this Arsenal squad is that. Some players have got to go. You know, I do think if you look at some of the numbers we have in certain areas of the pitch, particularly at the back and the financial situation, if we want to bring other players in, some players have Mm. got to go. I just think when you look at it, Maitland-Niles, for lots of reasons, wouldn't be top of anyone's list. No, I agree. I agree completely. Um, One of the other things we spoke about on, on WhatsApp when we were watching the game was the... 
the very clear instruction that Mikel Arteta is giving to his players in terms of keeping possession in tight spaces, in risky areas. That was very evident in the goal, and we'll come to the goal. But there were there were moments in midfield where I was looking at Shaq, I was looking at El Nenny, I remember Maitland-Niles a couple of times, I remember Kieran Tierney a couple of times, where you know the easy option was to lump it. It was to get rid of it, was to just sort of clear your lines, get organized, and then, you know, reset yourself for what Liverpool were going to throw at you. But but the first thought for most of these players, or most of the time anyway, is like, where's the pass? Where is the Arsenal man? Where is the option? How difficult is it to make the pass? And sometimes it really was a little bit difficult. It required some some dexterity. It required some nimble footwork. It required some uh, mobility in midfield, which isn't something that we might uh, necessarily associate with, with Xhaka and Elneny as a partnership. Yeah. But I thought they, they showed that really, really well. Um, and I think it's just part of the, the, the way Arteta is building confidence within his squad for them to play the way that he wants there's a long-term plan here we we know that there must be a long-term plan in terms of how he wants his team to play um but that was that was something that really stood out to me yeah I mean it feels a far cry doesn't it from Petr passing the ball out for a corner when we were kind of mm. really struggling to play out from the back in those early you know Emery days mm. there is a plan Players do understand it. If you told me before the match we were going to be giving the ball to Shaka and Elneny inside their own penalty area with Liverpool players on their backs, I would have had kittens, you know. But mm. they they handled it really well. They handled it really, really well. And uh, personally, I thought Shaka had a, a great game. I thought Elneny mm. was, was decent. But it's the coherence and the plan that's most pleasing. It's the sense that the players look relatively calm and comfortable doing it. Mm. And the fact that it works. I mean, as you say, we score a brilliant goal from building up the play in that fashion again. Mm. So let's talk about the goal. I mean, it, it came after Liverpool had had one disallowed. It mm. came after Liverpool had had a pretty good chance, I think, uh, James Milner headed over. But from that goal kick, um, we worked the ball to El Nenny who is facing his own goal. He's under pressure. He plays to Holding. Holding first-time pass to Bellerin. Bellerin down the line to Saka. Crossfield to Aubameyang. I think he took advantage of the the relative inexperience of the, the Liverpool right-back. Um, you know, just yeah. don't don't show him... Side a bit. Yeah, yeah, don't show him where you showed him uh, because that's exactly where he wants to be. And I'm sure you've watched the goal lots of times um, and seen the replays. But there's something just so sweet about the way he connects with that shot. Mm. You know, Allison is a brilliant goalkeeper, and it's not exactly top corner or anything like that, but the speed and the 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 purity of the connection that he makes when he hits that ball, he really fizzes it past the goalkeeper. Just a brilliant finish to, to end off what was a really brilliant move. Yeah, and it looks so effortless that I think it almost disguises how good a finish it is because um, yeah. he barely breaks stre- sweat or stride. Mm. Um, and we are becoming accustomed to these pretty extraordinary finishes from Aubameyang, who is kind of going through this evolution of becoming a guy who, who got so many chances and took a few, He's becoming a player who doesn't get that many and takes them incredibly clinically. Um Long may it continue. But, mm. I mean, a fantastic goal. Really good play as well, I thought, from Bukayo Saka in the build-up, who had an excellent first half. I think it was probably the best I've seen him play in that right-sided role. Yeah. Um, 
could have set up another goal for Eddie Nketiah perhaps but yeah really nice pass and Aubameyang just takes it from there but when you watch it back and you see Emmy Martinez involved El Nenny on the edge of his box the way the ball spread out to the right hand side worked up the line I mean it's fantastic and it is familiar too it's a little bit like that Aubameyang move you know against Chelsea mm. uh, do I mean Chelsea? I think I mean Man City in the semi-final yeah, yeah. but either way terrific goal um and, and also, weirdly, I had that confidence of having got the first goal and maybe with a bit more, a few more of these kind of resilient defensive performances in our back pocket, I kind of felt like, OK, we could actually go on from here and win this. You know, I, I sort of had a degree of confidence and I think yeah. the team did too. I mean, I, I think it's clear they're getting more comfortable in terms of the possession. Um, and and mm. look, against teams like Liverpool... Um, you're not. I don't think we're ready yet to to sort of go toe to toe with a team like Liverpool when it comes to possession and and how much of the game we're going to have. But part of I think the the sense that you had of feeling comfortable or feeling that we could go on and win it is that defensively the team knows what it's doing as well. That's really mm. clear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, David Luiz, I thought, was a little bit shaky, but then apparently he'd only had one training session and, you know, he can have those kind of games anyway. Tierney was fantastic as always. I thought Holding was good, but the wingbacks know what they're supposed to do. The the, the central midfielders, you know, I, I really feel like they understand what it is that the manager is looking for from them uh, mm-hmm. in, in these various scenarios as, as they crop up in games. And, and the way we can... I mean, look, Liverpool's threat is very different to Chelsea's threat, if you like, because they have these fullbacks who are dangerous and get crosses in, and there were quite a number of crosses. But um, I think that's um, is a really positive development uh, because you need foundations to build something on, and, and it does feel a bit like we're, we're, we're getting there. Yeah, I mean, Kieran Tierney spoke about this a few months ago and he said, you know, the really encouraging thing about Mikel Arteta is he, he explains to you a scenario that's going to happen in a game and what he wants you to do. And he was like, and then that happens in a mm. game. And you do the thing and it works. And it, it's a very simplistic way of sort of explaining the art of coaching and football. But effectively, mm. the players know what the coach wants from them. They know the required solution in different scenarios and it makes their job easier. It means they can rely on that, you know, and take Mm. confidence from the plan. Um, And, you know, I mean, listen, there were some hairy moments in the second half and uh, once Liverpool got their goal, I thought we might be in trouble here because we looked very, very tired. Got to remember as well, they'd had a week's more training and played a couple more games, I think. So... um, but yeah, I mean, look, it was a great goal. And again, uh, adhering to the plan for the moment seems to be working. It probably won't always work against opposition of this calibre. Sometimes, you know, the breaks aren't going to go for you. Mm. But uh, at the moment they are, so I'll definitely take it. Yeah, I mean, I think the next thing, really, if you look at the the way we've um, performed in big games of late and under Arteta, I mean, he's beaten Man United, he's beaten Man City, he's beaten Chelsea, he's beaten Liverpool twice. Mm-hmm. You know, that is that is really encouraging, um, no doubt about it, because our record in big games has, has not always been great, or certainly not been great in the last number of years. I think the next step is now, how do we deal with the teams like... Um, Villa, like Brighton, that we struggled against after the lo- after the restart, you know. Um, 
I'm sure he's got some ideas about that, and of course we won't we won't get to see what those are until the season kicks off. But I think you know, looking at looking at what it might instill into the squad in terms of belief and confidence, you know, to win a to win a trophy. I mean, I'm sure there must have been players, James, when when Arteta took over, who were perhaps a bit skeptical. Of course. About his appointment because of his inexperience, because of his age and, and all that kind of stuff. And to sort of do what he's done in the first six months and, and win a trophy and win the FA Cup will have will have been huge. And then to do it again, I know it's the community shield, but it is it is still a medal that they can put on their 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 mantelpieces and things mm-hmm. like that. So as a way of of instilling belief in a manager, it's sort of cyclical. It's, it's one drives the other. You know, the players believe in the manager. The manager is producing results, and it's sort of hopefully pistons on from there throughout the season. Yeah, hopefully, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. Um, and you know, it's it's a great launching pad, isn't it, for mm. the new season? And I can't believe it's here, but it is very nearly here. <laughs> Very nearly here. Um, okay. Um, should we, anything else on the game itself? I mean, I, I think we're probably going to talk about Emmy Martinez um, and we've got Maitland Niles questions. We've got holding questions. Was there anything else that sort of stood out to you? Um, the penalties. I was, yeah. you know, always pleased to see five penalties scored. Ainsley Maitland Niles uh, <laughs> capped his very good performance with a. <laughs> That was fucking... I was looking at him going, this is either going to be the coolest penalty of all time or the easiest save a goalkeeper is going to have to make. I think I texted you and said I don't fancy him here. And in fairness, I've gone back and done my research and he's got a decent record in penalties. Right. You know, he's. I think he's got a bit of a technique where he can wait and put it the other way, which doesn't surprise me because he's so ice cool on the field at times. Mm. Very, very laid-back character. Um, but yeah, great penalty from him. Great penalty, David Luiz, top corner, you're never saving that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was just really good to see. And I thought, oh, I also liked what Arteta said about Reese Nelson. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that, but Reese volunteered to be first. And I thought, you know, for a young player, sort of a, kind of a fringe player in the squad, really, I liked that from Nelson. Yeah, me too. And I liked that, that Arteta was sort of receptive to the idea that this guy is so confident about going first. It's like, OK, you know, do it. And I think... I think that's that's good management, you know. Um, of course, it's dependent on the player putting away the spot kick, but he did it very well, and he was confident. And and uh, you know, players stepping up and taking responsibility is always nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but all in all, yeah, thoroughly good fun. Yeah, good fun. <laughs> and like, I, I think part of it, of course, is you're watching a game knowing that the consequences for not winning aren't really there you know it's yeah. not like you're dropping three points or it's not like you're getting eliminated from a from a tournament it's a sort of ah, if we win great and if we don't ah, fuck it you know this yeah. game doesn't matter and if we don't win we're probably criticizing Liverpool players for celebrating it too much but of course I think um, nonetheless even if you set the result aside I suppose the value of any preseason game is kind of what can you draw and learn from mm. the performance and I think there were things in this performance that were interesting and were in some respects encouraging so from that point of view I, I really enjoyed it just going back to the subs very quickly do you feel like it was Arteta trying to get minutes into the the legs of key players um, because you know by about 70 minutes I think we were looking very tired and I was I was expecting a few more changes 
Yeah, I mean, I can't actually remember what changes we made. So we have Suarez, Cedric on for Bellerin uh, on mm. 59 minutes, and then there was a triple change on 83 minutes with Willock, Nelson, and Kalasinac coming on for Saka, Tierney, and Enkedia. Yeah, I'm sort of... I tweeted about this the other day, but I'm kind of curious what the fitness situation is because... I think we, you know, rightfully, there's a lot of focus on it's a very short preseason, but by the same token, it's also a very short break. So, mm. you know, I wonder how much the players lose fitness as compared to a normal summer. You know, presumably they've been asked to keep relatively fit, and how much, how behind, how behind can you fall in three or four weeks? Mm. I don't know. Um, so, I wonder if we might be in a situation where players actually start the season looking relatively sharp, but come Christmas, you know, are kind of out on their feet. I kind of fear that might be the way this plays out. Yeah. Um, but we did look leggy compared to them. And mm. that also, that's being without the ball, isn't it? I mean, we... Yeah, that's like true. That's a good point. 20% possession or something like that in the second half. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that will sort of have you on the rack a little that bit. That is a good point, actually, yeah. Um, yeah, you, you've got to do a lot more chasing and running and uh, closing down and all that kind of stuff when you don't have the ball. Okay, look, let's do the player ratings then. Um, okay. All right, so we'll go quickly. Uh, Emmy. I'll ask you. Okay, I'll go on. I'll ask you, because they, they're your player ratings. Right? Okay. Um, Emmy Martinez. Nine. Nine, okay. Yeah. Uh, um, is it going to be any justification or just numbers here? Um, well, I thought... A uh, couple of very good saves. A couple of very good saves, and I thought one save in particular... One of the things that people talked about last season was his tendency to go down a little bit quickly yeah, and making yeah, yeah. it easy for the for the not easy but easier for the finisher. So I think the save from Mane demonstrated that that's something he's worked on, or or maybe I don't know they've worked on it on the training ground, but also just the way he just stuck out one big hand to stop mm. the ball going past him. I just thought it was great, and I just like his presence, and I like. I like that when we play out from the back, I don't have kittens when the goalkeeper has the ball at his feet. No, he's I'm very really, I, you know, yeah, that's something we'll just, we'll maybe discuss this after. Um, but yeah, I think a nine for, for Emmy. Okay, let's get on to the centre halves. Rob Holding. Eight. Good solid Eight. display, yeah. Yeah. Uh, David Louise. I think probably... Like a six and a half, because he was really rusty at times. Some of his passing was off. Um, he wasn't bad. Like, my six is my baseline. You know, you go up sure. or down from six. So I think kind of a six and a half, which is all right, given he, you know, he'd only had a day's training. I think he would acknowledge himself that it wasn't his greatest game. Yeah, that's some mitigation for sure. What about Kieran Tierney? Uh, good eight for Tierney. Uh, Hector Bellerin? I think a seven and a half for Hector. Good, yeah. Got an hour under his belt. Great nutmeg. Great nutmeg. Oh, got to give him an eight for that. Sorry. I've just gone <laughs> up a half. I've forgotten about the nutmeg. So, um, yeah, I'm giving Hector an eight um, uh, for that. And he was dudes. involved in the goal. What about the official man of the match, Ainsley Maitland-Niles? 9.5. 9.5. Yeah. Probably. Um, which is roughly what he put on his price tag. Too. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mohamed Elneny. I think El Nenny was a good eight, really. You know, he was mm. tidy. He was comfortable on the ball. He, you know, he, he worked well with, with Shaka. So, you know, on the day, uh, based on, I, I think maybe a little based on expectations as well, I think he was he was an eight. 
Granite Shaka. I think also, I think maybe just a bit better than Shaka so, or than El Nani, so eight and a half. Eight and a half, okay. Mm. What about uh, Bukayo Saka? I think eight. Really well yeah. involved in the goal. Really uh, showed his creative juices at times. Um, and I just was looking at him thinking, this guy is going to be a big player for us this season. Yeah, I like that number seven shirt as well. Mm. It's good in that. Yeah, he does. Um, Pierre Mikobemiang. Uh, I think a nine for Aubameyang. Brilliant yeah. goal again. Um, worked his arse off once more up and down that left-hand side, which might be an issue at some point. But, you know, when he's asked to do the job, he does it um, and does it very well. What about the only outfield player who I think we haven't mentioned on the podcast so far, Eddie Nketiah? I was sort of like a six and a half for Eddie. Right. You know, there were a couple of, I mean, he works hard. I think Allison made a very good save at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the chance, I think, that Saka set up with his right back. foot. Yeah. Um, but there was another one where he stepped inside and really should have hit the target. I'm not saying he should have scored, but he definitely should have hit the target. I think he'd be disappointed. So, yeah, yeah, you know, the thing about him is he gets into these positions, but maybe just not quite clinical enough. So um, I think he's one to keep an eye on in terms of what happens this uh, season in the transfer market. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um... I've got to ask you more about that. What do you think? I think... Do you just think that he, he's one who could be... He's on the possible outgoing list? I, I think he might be one that we could loan. Okay. I think we might loan him. But, of course, it depends on what happens with Lacazette. It depends yeah. on what happens in the market. But I feel like... Look, they obviously rate him very highly. They they do rate him and they, they see qualities in him. But maybe, maybe, maybe he just needs another season of, of regular football under his belt somewhere. Mm. What do you I, think? I have to say, I thought he was a little bit better than that. I thought, because one of his chances, maybe it was the one that Saka cut back, came from some really good um, pressing work. And I right. know whenever you Maybe I'm being forward, harsh. Maybe I'm being I don't think you harsh. are. I don't think you are, because, you know, we didn't mention him, mm. which means he didn't have a massive impact in the game. But I thought he worked, he worked really, really Yeah, hard. he does work hard, um, no question. But his finishing was a bit off, and yeah, I don't think he's I don't think he's uh, as good a finisher as Lacazette, for example, at no, this stage. No. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens with those two. I think I think there's a case that Lacazette, you know, might be available for transfer as mm. well. So um, we'll get onto that. We'll get onto that. The squad building questions, I guess, in part two. Yeah. Uh, what about the sub? Cedric Suarez was on first. Good penalty. Good penalty, good cross as well, actually, I thought, for Joe Willock. Yeah, true, um, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible header, truly terrible header from Joe Willock. <laughs> it was almost a good header. Was almost, it? I think maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe. He's, this is one of the things that I really find interesting about Willock. Is Go on. His ability to get into those positions. I know his finishing oh, sure. is a little bit erratic, and he is still only 20, so we have to give him some... We have to give him some leeway in that regard. But this is why when people go or completely want to write off Joe Willock, I'm just cautious about it because I think there's something about a player whose, I don't know, his ability to get in the box at the right time isn't always something you can learn. It's something you have. And I mm-hmm. think he has it. 
it's just I can see that there are other parts of his game that really do need to to de- develop as well. Yeah, Aaron Ramsey had it when he was mm. about eighteen, nineteen. He would arrive in the box really regularly and sky it. You know, mm. he didn't always have composure or confidence in front of goal. It did come to him a bit later. Um, but I agree with you. There are certain players who it's sort of not taught or not learnt. They just instinctively mm. sort of find those dangerous positions. And he does have that capacity. Yeah. Um, do you typically give out ratings to people who come in no. sort of late in games? No, not really. If you give the last 10 minutes. I mean, I think they came on and did, you know, they did what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But it's impossible to rate them. So uh, the, with the usual caveat when it comes to ratings, these are subjective um, everyone can have their own opinions and own ratings and, and everything else. So there you go. Um, would you disagree um, fundamentally with any of the ratings that I've no. given? Or is there anyone you go higher, uh, massively higher or lower? No, not really. Um, I, like I say, I thought Nketiah was sort of fractionally better than you, but only we're talking half a rating probably. Mm. Um, no, not really. I mean, I th- you know, I think you, you have the standout performers as... Martinez and and Maitland-Niles and Aubameyang, um, and I couldn't really argue with that. Yeah. Um, let's just talk very briefly before we take a break and go into part two and some questions, just about the the coaching appointments that were made oh, yeah. towards the end of, of last week. Um, they are interesting in the sense that I know the guy who came in from Brentford is, is fairly well established, and he's going to be our, our set-pieces coach. So the very, very best of luck to him. He's got he's got a job of work well, on his hands. That Liverpool offside goal suggests he's perfectly drilled the offside line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. It was a good line. Um, to the millimetre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a good start for him in, in that sense. But the other two guys, um, Carlos Cuesta and what's the other guy's name? Molina. Molina. What's his first name, though? We should. Oh, should don't ask me questions like that. Um, Mickey, Mickey Molina, Mickey Molina, Manfred Molina, um, Marmaduke Molina, Marmaduke Molina, of course. Yeah, that guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it up here. Miguel Molina. There you go. Mm. I prefer to call him Marmaduke from here on in, though. Okay. So they're both quite young. Um, yes, they are children, as far as I can see. <laughs> yeah. One of them in particular. <laughs> The guy who, who, who's uh, come from work experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's quite funny because the guy who came in, Carlos Cuesta, um, has basically got himself involved in coaching because, you know, he realized he was not going to make it as a player and he's very interested in the tactical side of, yeah. of football. And he set up a Twitter account and he started writing articles. It's like Michael Cox getting a job at Arsenal. Don't rule it uh, zonal out. marking. Um, but, you know, quite an interesting appointment in that sense, because he went, he would like write to the big coaches and say, can I come and observe and learn things from you? And he, he went to Man City and that's where he met uh, Mikel Arteta for the first time. Um, you know, it's really, for a coach like Arteta, who is young still, he's only 38. Oh, by the way, on this day in 2011, we he's signed Mikel Arteta. Wow. Isn't that something? We also signed, uh, signed Park as well, Park Too Young. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a mixed day, all in all. Mm. Um, Still. Yeah. Thank you, Andre Santos, for everything you did for the club. Still got my Santos shirt. What can I tell you? <laughs> um, 
you know, when a coach of that age comes in, I guess there's a temptation or or perhaps a pressure or even something internally that would make you default to experience. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's got some experience around him with Steve Round, who's who's been around, if you like, for, for quite some time, and Albert Steivenberg as well, who's who's got plenty of experience. But for a young guy to bring in these young guys as coaches and to sort of give them this authority to come in and work with players at Arsenal, some of the players are, are older than these coaches. Mm-hmm. It is really interesting slash brave slash I don't know whether it's foolish or not I don't know I mean I I just feel like it's in tune with what Arteta is doing yeah and I think also you've got to remember as much as we joke about the age some of the players are 18 you know and having coaches that are younger rather than I don't mm. know however Steve old Steve Round is he's probably 50 or odd um, you know, is is helpful, is mm. beneficial, and it kind of might help in that respect. They've lost Freddie Umberg, who of course was very close with a lot of the academy kids yeah. because he worked with them in the twenty threes and and younger age groups than that. So to get in a couple of guys who you know at the younger age of the spectrum, I, I think that's good. And when you look at the, someone did an interesting comparison of sort of the a, average age of Arsene Wenger's staff in his final year, mm. and you look at what Arteta's got now, it is very youthful, is full of ideas, modern approaches to the game, <clears throat> and I really like that. I think it's brave on the one hand. I also think, you know, I, I never was convinced that. Mikel Arteta would appoint Dennis Burkamp as his, you know, one of his assistants. Mm. I think that it's also, to me, a clear indicator that he is basically happy with his team in terms of he's got Steve Round, he's got Steven Berg, and they're going to be his primary assistants. And in a way, it kind of continues their seniority, which is perfectly fine. It's not like they've done a bad job thus far. But I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's they're really interesting, aren't they? And certainly caught a lot of people off guard. Mm. Um, and I'm sure we'll find out more about them before long. Throughout the season, no doubt. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, look, we'll take a break here and we will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at ArsBlog on the ArsBlog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. I'm going to start, James, and it comes from the Patreon, and it's from When John Tweets, and he says... Mm. Which keeper would you sell, and why is it Leno? Martinez <laughs> is so good, but I think a lot of people are forgetting how good Leno is. If you were to go, maybe thirty million, realistically. So it's a really interesting, complicated, yeah. layered situation we've got going on here, isn't it, with the goalkeepers? It really is. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very interesting one because I was actually quite surprised Martinez played against. Uh, Liverpool simply mm. because um, as my colleague Adam Crafton reported in The Athletic I know Arsenal have been very open to the possibility of selling him in this summer transfer window and have even held talks uh, about doing that so doesn't mean they will but it's definitely something that's on the table as a possibility um, and part I mean, of the logic yeah, go I was, on. Uh, that was told to me was that Bern Leno is perceived as the number one and nothing has change that um, I mean you know the, the fact that Martinez played I realised could appear contradictory but I think there was probably an extent to which uh, he was the guy who played the FA Cup final and therefore you know he kind of deserved to play the community shield mm. um, I, I must say my personal opinion is that I'm kind of drawn more to Emery Martinez. Um, Now, I will add as a caveat that I'm quite a romantic football fan and there is a romanticism (laughs) in Emery Martinez's story that appeals to me. And uh, I think Emery's also very good. I mean, it's funny, we sometimes criticise players who play the social media game. I think he actually plays it expertly. You know, he's really... um, embrace this image and I think it's true that he is like an Arsenal guy he's been here 10 years it's been this long fight Mm. now he's got this chance and he absolutely deserves all the plaudits that he's getting he's been brilliant I do think that what's um, what's tricky is that I think we do forget how good Leno was to an extent and I think that Emmy is playing behind a much more organised defence than what Leno had for the majority of the season. Sure, but I mean, he's still making saves. And I think that's something we talked about on the podcast was that, you know, even though things are a bit better defensively, we're still semi-reliant on our goalkeepers. True. Um, whether it's Leno or whether it's Emmy. Yeah, you know, so th- there's still plenty of work for a goalkeeper to do. Um. It is. Where I think he's best, by the way, is is what we were saying in part one. Yeah. It's that confidence on the ball. I mean, I know the numbers suggest there's very little between their passing, but just in terms of the something the numbers don't demonstrate is the confidence and the certainty with which mm. Emi Martinez plays on the ball. And I think that does a great deal to help the defence around him. Yeah, I agree. I feel... It's not that I feel uncomfortable with Leno um, when he's got the ball at his feet. I just feel more comfortable with with Emi Martinez. Um, I, I'm I'm sort of torn on this one because I do remember how good Leno was, but I think I've said this to you before that that I just have this slight suspicion that Leno is a good keeper in a team which requires the keeper to be active a lot. Mm. Um. 
I mean, what do you do though? So, so I let's d- I say, d- yeah. I mean, because Emmy's position is he's two years out from the remainder of his for what's left of his contract. Yeah. Right? Um, I know there have been reports in the last twenty four hours that he's on the verge of uh, signing a new contract with Arsenal. I have to say. With the greatest respect, that is not at all my information. I don't think there's been an offer made to Emmy Martinez yet. Right. Uh, there is a there is a commitment to uh, sort of pay him some backdated pay because they're meant to have extended his contract in the past and they haven't, and he's on a relatively low wage for a first team player at Arsenal, about twenty five thousand pound a week. I mean, I'd take it, but you know, sure. Um, so I don't. I don't think that, that they're at the point yet where he is close to signing a new contract or anything like it. I think he wants certain assurances. I do think he's realistic. No one can say to Emmy Martinez, "Yeah, you're the number one goalie for the remainder of the season." Whatever happens, that's mm. not going to happen. I think what he's looking for is for someone to say, "You're the number one goalkeeper when we start our Premier League campaign." Do you feel perhaps that that's how do I put this? Um, given how good Leno has been, yeah. is, is it in some ways, and I'm not I'm not like being critical here, because I, I admire a confidence and I admire his desire to be number one, and he's spoken about it time and time again, and you can't fault a guy who's got ambition. But if we were to rewind six months and put ourselves in this position, we wouldn't be having this kind of a conversation. There wouldn't be the dilemma. And I realise that, of course, what Emi Martinez has done since he's come into the team is what's driving that. And that is what yeah. has changed our opinions of him as a goalkeeper and as a player and as somebody we want in the squad, right? So I'm, I'm aware of that. But, you know, they're basically the same age, Leno and Martinez. Yeah, Leno has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of first team appearances under his belt for Bayer Leverkusen and and uh, now Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Emmy has been on loan at some clubs where you would have expected him to play more than he did mm-hmm. and didn't. And I think it was reasonable to have some doubts about uh, his ability or his potential if he's going to a club like um, Getafe, for example, and only playing two games or three games or whatever it was. And maybe there were injuries. Yeah. And I know he went to Wolves. Wolves and Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday, Northampton. You know, at various points in his career, you know, he's taken that step down, if you like, in order to get playing time. And it hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder, I mean, that it's what's in the back of my mind. Because like you, I really like... Emmy Martinez. I feel great when he's in goal. I, I, I can't commend his performances highly enough. I think he's come in and done brilliantly and played a big part in us winning the FA Cup. But in the back of my mind, there's just this nagging doubt that the sample size is a bit small. That's all. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, you know... He's been fantastic, but he still has only played 15 Premier League games. And Arsenal are in a really difficult position. I I think, you know, it is a bold claim for him to say, I expect to be Arsenal's Premier League number one, you know, from now on, despite everything Leno has done. Mm. But I think there's a degree to which he realises this is his time where he's got a 
players' chips. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he he's never had a stronger hand than now. He's two years out from the remainder of his contract. He feels he's been underpaid for the last two or three years, certainly. He he wants to play for Argentina. He wants to do all these things. This is the time where he's sort of digging in and making those demands. Now, in fairness to Arsenal, I actually have a bit of sympathy with Arsenal in this position because everything you hear out of the club suggests they think incredibly highly of Emi Martinez too. They really like him. They don't think he's a bad goalkeeper. They think he's a really good goalkeeper. And in an ideal scenario, they would like him to stay. But how do you keep someone if they want something that you cannot give them? Do you know what I mean? That, that, that's the situation. And so it's like, well, if he says he wants to be Premier League number one goalkeeper and that isn't something that we're ready to do or prepared to do, mm-hmm. then and he says he wants to go if that's not the case, then they have to consider their options. And that's co- consequently why they've explored, you know, alternative number twos. But, I mean, it, it's not an easy one, actually. And I, I think as well, the other thing to consider in this is that we're in a summer where Arsenal do need to sell certain players yeah um, I, I get that but I mean I think if you're if you're talking about selling Emmy you then have to buy a replacement and there was some talk in the story wasn't there about how he's hoping Arsenal might be kind about the fee that they uh, look for him um, mm. in terms of selling so you know 10 million euros what kind of a goalkeeper do you get for 10 million euros really no. you don't get one as good or certainly who's who could come in and play as well as Emmy Martinez has played. I mean, I think the ideal situation for me, and of course, you know, what the player himself wants is is a key consideration. You know, if he mm. wants to go somewhere and be the number one goalkeeper at a club and we can't give him that or take the risk of giving that, giving him that, I realise that that makes it complicated. But for me, the ideal situation would be um, keep him for this season, at the very worst, he is going to play in the Europa League. He's going to play in the FA Cup. He's going to play in the League Cup. He may get a chance in the league if Bernd Leno starts as number one and maybe picks up an injury as he does. I mean, the door was open to him this season because of the injury that Leno sustained. Mm. I also think that from a from the point of view of... <sighs> not understanding him, but but making that sample size, as I talked about earlier, making it bigger, it, it just would be easier perhaps for the club to make their ultimate decision if these two guys are scrapping all season for the number one position and we see how they perform and when there's pressure on and how do you perform when, when fans are back in the stadium and you know when the stakes are high and we've seen with Emmy Martinez that he has performed in cup finals and uh, in the cup final rather you know so there's there's plenty to be confident about when it comes with him but i, I just think from the club's point of view do they really have to make a decision now because you could make an assurance that, look, if you're not number one this time next year, this time next year, or when next season ends, you know, we'll give you, uh, uh, we'll release you. You've got a year left on your contract. We'll let you go for a reasonable fee. In the meantime, we'll give you a little bump in your wages. And if, you know, it works out your way, you could be number one at Arsenal. If not, you're still going to have options uh, to, to go with a year left on your contract because it's advantageous for a buying club. Listen, as an Arsenal fan, that would be a great outcome. To have both mm. these goalkeepers pushing each other, competing, that would be fantastic. I mm. would really, really like it. 
Um, you don't I, think it's going to happen? I, it might. It might. It would need Emmy to row back in his position a little bit and say, you know, I am prepared to kind of take my chances. And I just wonder what I suppose what we don't think about really as fans is how long he has waited mm. and how much he senses like this is his time. That's true. And yeah. You're asking me to wait again. And I think if someone else, if if there's another club who say you are our first choice, you know, this is your proper grown-up goalkeeping job, mm. come and enjoy it. And guess what? You're probably in line to be the Argentina number one. I, I can see why he would want to do it. I mean, but what it will come down to is money. And you're absolutely right to say, just like Arsenal shouldn't be selling Eze Maitland-Niles for 15 million quid. They shouldn't be... You know, I can see Emmy saying, I've been with you 10 years, let me go for a reasonable fee. Arsenal don't have to do that. They have the player under contract. Yeah. And Emmy Martinez is worth, in this current market... You know, look at Aaron Ramsdale going from Bournemouth to Sheffield United for a value of 18 million. Yeah. You've got to be looking at, I know he's English, but you've got to be looking at around that for Emmy Martin. Yeah, I mean, if he feels like he's good enough to be number one at Arsenal, then the fee that he commands in order to leave the club should be commensurate with that. Yeah, and I mean, an interesting question would be, what if there was a market for Bernd Leno? You know, if, there, mm. if we knew... Oh, Bayern Munich is sniffing around Bern Leno and they want to pay 40 million euros. I mean, it would be a different conversation, actually, because you'd say, well, we need that money elsewhere in the squad. We're hoarding too much resource at goalkeeper. Mm. Um, but I don't think there is a market for Leno this summer. Um, I think he's going to be here at Arsenal next season. So it, it is a really... I mean, because where it comes down to is like, what if you could get 20 million euros, whatever it is for Martinez? If the question becomes, would you rather see that spent on a central midfielder, for example, um, then it does genuinely become tricky, Mm. I think. Because ultimately, goalkeeper is great to have two, but only one. You only really need one. I mean, Liverpool won the league with Adrian as their backup. Would we have won the FA Cup if we didn't have Emi Martinez though? Like, you know, we have a very very good number two or, you know, very someone who proved himself to be a very, very good number two goalkeeper. Like, Mm. you know, he was important in the FA Cup in the semi-final and the final. You know, so I, I know what you mean about when you've got a really high profile number one goalkeeper, it becomes very difficult for the for the guy who's second. But there is, I think, evidence that having a good number two is is also beneficial, you know, for your so, season. Like, what happens if Leno gets another injury? Where do you go from there? I mean, you've, yeah. What, well, can I ask you this? Mm. If you're Mikel Arteta, well, I think I know what you say, but who would you pick against Fulham? I suppose the first thing to say with this is that we're looking at this, I guess, from the from the outside. And that inside, Mikel Arteta and his coaches have got a much more um, hands-on view of, of each player, right? Yeah. So they've got all the information, they've got all the stats, they've got their eyeballs, they've got their gut feeling, they've got their discussions and everything else. So I, I think we have to, in some ways, defer. We have to defer to that. I mean, look, he's the manager, and I guess he makes the decisions that he thinks are best for the team. If it were me, I would pick Emmy Martinez, Emmy Martinez, rather against um, against Fulham, because I don't think he's done anything to lose his place in the team. Mm-hmm. Every single game he's played, 
since he's come in, he's been very, very good. Very good. And at times outstanding. So I just think that I just don't see why he would lose his place. I mean, yeah, I think it's a pretty compelling case to make. And it is unfortunate for Bernd Leno, but that is football, isn't it? Yeah, um, it, it happens. Players get injured. Look at Matthew Debushi. That's the obvious example. You know, and Hector it? Bellerin I mean, came in and, and has not looked back, so... Um, but yes, you're right. That, that Internally, the staff will have other factors influencing mm. that decision. And they, you know, they might know more about a goalkeeper's limits than we do. Yeah. The other thing to say is that this is a mad six weeks or whatever it is, five or six weeks we've got left in this transfer window because, uh, you know, it's a weird summer for Arsenal generally because I think a higher proportion of players than ever are theoretically available yeah. at the right price. Yeah. And so there are players that we're going to talk about, like Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who seemingly what is on the market and is going to go, who might may end up staying. And there might be a player that we haven't talked about in great detail who could suddenly go, you know, and it's, it's um, you know, like Lacazette. And, and it's a, a kind of, it's a, a very mobile, fluid situation. But, but my overriding impression is that if Arsenal mm. want to bring more players in, some people have yeah, got to go out. I think that's inevitable. I think everybody realises that and understands that. Um, do you want to ask a question? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's do a question. Um, ba, 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 ba. Okay, so this one was from uh, Kaushik, whose Twitter handle is Kaushik is alive, which is good news. It's good, yeah. Uh, good. And Kaushik says, "Are we going to buy a left back if we let Kalasinac go?" <gasps> good question. Um, yeah, because there was rumours in Germany last night that he could be returning to Schalke. Is that right? I I saw that doing the rounds. I saw that one of I don't know how true this is, is but <laughs> yeah, one of the I demands one of the demands of this was that like he'd be made club captain. Or something. Yeah, so I he insists he will be made. Club I captain. must be the captain. Um, I mean, you would ideally you would replace him, but. Given that Maitland-Niles can do that job better than Kolasinac can, in my opinion, mm. Mm. maybe that's part of maybe that's part of uh, how you convince Maitland-Niles to stay. Interesting. I mean, it, it's it is quite a sort of interesting one from a tactical point of view, isn't it? Because. Mm. Let's say we've got this back three, and I think... I don't know what you think. I think we're starting the season with that, in all likelihood. I agree. I right. agree. Um, simply, I mean, uh, as much because of uh, the lack of time as anything, but also due to sort of certain personnel situations. Mm. But as you see that progressing, you know, you'd think that Gabriel, if and when he arrives, well, I think when he arrives, um, would be a contender to play on the left-hand side of that three. Pablo Marie could be a contender to play on the left side of that three. And then you've got Kieran Tierney potentially mm. looking at that left wing-back role. Yeah. Um, and if you go to a four, Kieran Tierney is undoubtedly your left-back in that situation. For sure, yeah. So I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles you know, will figure on that flank, but I don't think... It's hard to offer him sort of first choice there, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. But then I'm not sure that 
Yeah, I mean, this is the the complicated thing with Maitland-Niles that, you know, is he going to so be this is a question choice? about class snatch, but it's become one about Maitland-Niles, but I think that's okay. Yeah, so look, here we, we had one on the Patreon. It comes from Cluck the Rotisserie Chicken, and he says, do you think Ainsley Maitland-Niles is the elite-level talent that a lot of fans and pundits now claim him to be, or do you think we're hailing him now and see him through rose-tinted glasses because he's on the cusp of leaving and or because of the relative lack of uh, comparison within the squad? I don't know if he means competition or comparison he says I do rate him and I, I would like him to stay but when Arsenal are back to where we believe we should be I have trouble seeing him as anything more than a very useful squad player and just I don't even need an answer to that I think that's mm. kind of a good thing I think you need good squad players yeah I, I agree actually I mean I I don't agree with this but I did see someone floating you know, let's not get carried away with Andy Maitland-Niles. Kieran Gibbs won 10 England caps. And I was like, Christ, Kieran Gibbs won 10 England caps. Um, but I think Maitland-Niles is, is really useful. I'm not sure he's a guy who's going to start every game for the next five years. Neither am I. But I think he's somebody who could play a very important role within a squad that is hopefully going to improve and push on and and um, uh, challenge for the top four, maybe challenge more than that, you know, as as time goes on under, under Mikel Arteta. I just think mm. you need solid squad players. And it's not the most glamorous thing, is it, to to sell somebody on that idea that, you know, it's not like you're going to be the star striker or the star central defender or the hub of the team in central midfield. Mm. But I need you to do a job in 35, 40 games in a season, whether you're starting or whether you're coming on as a substitute. You spoke about it earlier, the the, the tactical awareness and the, mm. the, the concentration and the consideration to which uh, Maitland-Niles applies himself within the games are really, really useful qualities to have. Um, it's not maybe not quite the same thing, but, you know, was Ray Parler that kind of a player in a way? Like he was not the star, yeah, I mean, but he was really important. And who has a bad word to say about Ray Parler's Arsenal career? Not everybody exactly. can be Dennis Bergkamp. Not everybody can be Thierry Henry. Not everybody can be Aubameyang. But, you know, there's a lot to be said for being a Ray Parler. And that's not to downplay that in any way. I, I, I genuinely think... It's a really important part of, of a team game. Listen to this comparison. People might not take kindly to this, but listen to this career. Six Premier League titles, three FA Cups, uh, three Community Shields, a Champions League medal, mm. uh, the Club World Cup, 56 international caps. That's Phil Neville. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I do that deliberately because he was so invaluable to United in that period. He played five positions for them in some of their biggest games. I think Maitland-Niles is much more talented. Don't get me wrong. But I also think that... I also think that that is, to me, what makes him so appealing, that he is this kind of utility guy who can do whatever job you give him. Mm. Um, and, and is it not better to be... to have that career than to be a guy who... 
and I'm not saying he definitely gets that career, but I'm saying, to, is that not better to do that at Arsenal and be revered by those fans where you came through than go and play for, I don't know, Wolves and then, you know, five years later, you're, I don't know, in mid-table. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree, I agree. Or look at Kieran Gibbs, you know, he wanted to play more football. He went to West Brom, they got relegated. He's not in their team anymore, you know? Yeah. I mean, the grass is not always greener. And I think if Ainsley Maitland-Niles gets a contract that, rewards him and recognises his value to the first team, I think he should Mm. really, really think carefully. And actually, as much as I'm saying all this and talking about him as a utility player, I do think there is a place in the team that could be his. And it's the same place I've thought for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And that's right back. Mm. And I think in a few years' time, he could be Arsenal's right back. He's quite easily... I think he's got all the the qualities and attributes to make that position his own if he really wants it. And yeah. I do wonder if, you know, your ambitions as a player, perhaps, and your desires as a player and where you want to play and where you feel most comfortable, um, maybe you have to put those aside to accept, not to accept, but, you know, the reality of the, the, the opportunity that you have mm-hmm. is something that's different. Like, how many fullbacks down the years, not just at Arsenal or elsewhere, have been repurposed uh, midfielders or attackers. I think I read, um, I mean, Ashley Cole was once started as a striker. We we know uh, Lauren. Um, I think I read something, he's not my favourite player in the whole world, but Patrice Evra did an interview recently and he talked about he, how he started as a winger or a, a striker and the coach put him back there and he hated it at first and then it was like, well, fuck, I'm playing. So I'm in the team. Yeah. So like, let's fucking go. You know, so there is an element of that. It's like you you may want one thing, but your opportunity is somewhere else. And it's up to you then to to try and take it. And I think, I think when you look at what we've got at right back, um, I really like Hector, but is he ironclad based on what we've seen from him, taking into account the injury and all that kind of stuff? I, you know, I think he's a better player than some people would have you believe. I think he's a very good passer of the ball, and I'm glad to see him getting back to something like um, the the kind of form that he can show. But it's not a hundred percent certain that he. Um, keeps his position at right back. I don't think Cedric is a player who should be anything other than backup for Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I I agree with you about Maitland Niles. I think there there is an opportunity for him there. Um, and I, I hope you know that the the that he's not sort of having his head turned by by money because I really feel like there is an opportunity for him. And it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It doesn't mean it's going to work out. It may not, but I, I think he would regret not giving it a try at Arsenal under this coach, in this system, you know, in this sort of, I don't want to say new era, but but Arteta is building something and it's clear that he sees Maitland-Niles as one of the parts. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, agents like moving players between clubs, you know, that's mm. where their money... Pff, often comes, you know, because you get a hike in salary and bonuses and all sorts of things. And Ainsley did change his agent earlier this year Mm. and that's partly why, you know, a move was so on the cards. Um, I I hope he stays, I really do. I mean, when I... I said this in part one, but when I look at this squad and I sort of list, 
who I'd be getting rid of first. I mean, look, Cedric be much higher on that list than AJ Maitland-Nars. That's yeah. for sure. Flip him like a property developer flips a like a house. You know, I would. Yeah. Have, I, would... I mean, why? Just exactly. We, it feels weird because we've just signed him, but we signed him for free. If it really was such a good deal, as we're told multiple times by the club, then uh, let's turn him on. And, yeah. You know, get some money out of it. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see that. No, yep. Nothing against Cedric, but I'd rather keep Ainsley Maitland-Niles every single day of the week. 100%. Um, here's a question from Facebook. I remembered. Uh, George Lambrow says, does the exclusion of Alexandra Lacazette from the Community Shield squad indicate Arteta's intent to sell the forward? We haven't heard anything about his future or his situation at, uh, at Arsenal from Arteta or from anyone since the season ended, which you know may indicate that there's not much going on. I think there were maybe some reports over the weekend about Atlanta Atletico Madrid, but I don't know the source of those or how reliable they were. Yeah, there's been some talk about Juve. I have to say, I don't know this for a fact, but I would venture that the absence of Lacazette and potentially Nicola Pepe and a few other players probably had more to do with quarantine regulations than anything else. Mm. Um, You know, a lot of Arsenal players are coming back from their holiday and either haven't been able to join up with training or haven't been able to until right before the game, as in the case of David Luiz. So I would say that's probably behind it. Um, But that said, I think we were talking about it last week. I do think there is a possibility he'll go. Um, Not not because, again, he's done anything (laughs) particularly egregious. It's just a, a case of a situation where Arsenal need to move some out to get some in. And where in a difficult market when there are buyers and there are bidders for a player um, that becomes a possibility especially someone like Lacazette who's two years out from the end of his contract mm. and probably not in a position to be being granted a, a big extension right now yeah yeah one of those to keep an eye on I think for sure um, he's certainly somebody who could potentially go I think so mm. and yeah I mean it, it's going to be really interesting seeing all those different uh moving pieces but yeah. I think that is going to be one to keep an eye on mm. um, oh let's have a non-Arsenal related question from Anthony Bergerlin on, at Tony Berger uh, and Anthony says um, not Arsenal related Messi to Man City good thing bad thing what impact do you have it seeing on the league and football in England in general um, I mean it's a, it's a weird it's a Really bad situation, isn't it? What's gone on there at Barcelona? And you look at the what he's done for that club. I mean, it just shows you that football is one of the most rancorous, bitter industries that there is. The idea of of Messi being at war with Barcelona or Barcelona being at war with Messi when you consider what he's done on the pitch for them. And I think, you know, to my mind, he's just the greatest player that there ever has been. Um, Certainly the best player I've ever seen uh, live. Man City, I mean, it's about the only club that could bring him in. Obviously Pep is there, the financial element is there, the wages and all that kind of stuff. Personally, while, you know, I've not particularly enjoyed seeing him um, inflict his talents upon Arsenal in the past. I think it would be just amazing to see him in the Premier League and Mm. to see him play week in, week out. Um, Because it's at Man City as well, you can sort of 
put it in its own little box, if you like. Sort of weird, hard trotters. Yeah, it's sort of like they, they, they are what they are. They do what they do. Yeah, Harlem Globetrotters is is kind of a good, a good uh, comparison. I have to say, I I quite enjoy it. I quite enjoy it, and I think you know if he's going to Man City at thirty three years of age, and he's he's going to what sign three year deal, something like that. Um, yeah, why not? Why not? Um, I, for the other reason, I suppose as well is that that he is such a because of the kind of player he is and because of his talent, does he become the focal point of a city team which maybe wouldn't need him to be the focal point? Does he, would he detract or take away from some of the other players? Of Manchester (laughs) City. (laughs) Yeah. That's a fucking great comparison. Yeah. For for people who don't um, know that one, when Newcastle were, what were they, 12 points clear at the top of the league? Yeah. The top of the Premier League back in the they 90s. Les Ferdinand and Alan Shearer as their strike partnership. Banging in the goals. Week in, week mm-hmm. out, they brought in Faustino Aspria, who was a wonderfully talented player who scored some amazing goals for them, but it kind of imbalanced the team, didn't it? And they ended up yeah. uh, losing the title to to Manchester United after that Kevin Keegan ran. So, yeah, maybe an element of that, but just from a purely footballing point of view, I'd love to see him. Love to see him in the Premier League. Uh, yeah, He'd make uh, match of the day interesting. It sure. would. I'd start watching that again for sure. But I, I think you know, I mentioned being a romantic, and from that perspective, there is, you know, I, I, I kind of loved the idea that he would be sort of the last one club player, you know, who would just stay at Barcelona. And I have to say, mm. City. I agree that there's sort of a sort of. Uh, sort of clinicalness about them that means I can kind of detach myself from it. But I also find the idea of him there kind of unromantic in a way. If yeah. he was going to sort of a Juventus or even like... Even that. Uh, you know, like a great European, uh, you know, sort of dynasty, I'd be like, okay, but Man City, it just feels like it's really about the money. Um which it is probably, but it's a bit grotty. But anyway, I mean, look, if he comes, I'll be, you know, eulogising mm. over him like everyone else. Um, and Man City will probably walk the league next season. But. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, look, let's see. <laughs> we'll see. It seems like a very complicated situation given the buyout clauses and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, look, it's we'll... get f- ugly. Yeah. We'll fly through a, a few more. Um, Henry Powell on the Discord says, in our last three final victories... FA Cup 2017, 2020, and the Community Shield Super Cup 2020. Uh, Rob Holding has been an ever-present. Are Mm. we doing him a disservice shipping him off to Newcastle? And your thoughts on him joining Newcastle uh, on loan, which we expect to go through this week? We do, but the way things are going, he'll probably get a new contract. (laughs) Arsenal. Arsenal Uh, have done a U-turn over Rob Holding after he had one good game. Yeah. No. Uh, we, We shall see. I mean... I actually think, I think I was saying last season, I thought he needed a loan and I think it's absolutely right for him. Um, I think it's smart as well. He's got a way to go on his current contract. If you sold him now, I don't know what you'd get for him. Uh, I don't know if his his market value is as high as we might like. Um, And I think he could come back either a better footballer or a more saleable asset I think it's probably sensible. What do you think? I couldn't agree more. 
I really yeah. think it's a it's a smart move. Let him play for a year. If he develops and and you know gets a good season of Premier League football under his belt, I think there is a player in Rob Holding. I really do. Maybe not as a starter week in week out for Arsenal, but again, you know, a solid, dependable squad player. I think that's there. Um, so yeah, I think it's a smart move. We go, we see how he does at Newcastle. If he does well, great. We've got a player who's got more experience and has developed. And if it doesn't quite go as well, or if he doesn't really um, play as much or, or whatever else, it probably makes the ultimate decision a bit easier. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a couple of people expressing concerns about the destination, partly because Newcastle, like Arsenal, they have a lot of centre-backs and it's not the weakest area of their team. They've got mm. people like Fabian Schaar, a couple of others. But if this is a guy we're talking about playing for Arsenal he should be able to get in that Newcastle side. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we'll find out something about him this season. Yeah. Uh, okay. My turn, is it? It is. If you've got one lined up, go for it, because we've actually accidentally covered a lot of what I had lined up. Okay. Um, let me ask you this one. Eddie Longbridge says, hello there. With Mikel Arteta stating that everyone will be given a clean slate, do you see a way back from Matteo Ganduzi? And would you be pleased if Arteta welcomes him back into his bosom? Uh, well, yeah, another one who was absent from the squad for reasons we don't fully know for the Community Shield. I think if there is a buyer for Matteo Ganduzi, he will still go. Um, but I think it's smart of Arteta to change the language around him. Mm to sort of not cut off his nose to spite his face, you know, and and, me, and give Arsenal, A, the option of reintegrating him if it comes to it, or B, uh, not diminishing his transfer value any further by publicly expressing that he's surplus to demand. So mm. I think we talked about this on the last cast on Friday, but I basically think Arsenal have kind of reorientated their position on Gunduzi in a way that is smart, but doesn't necessarily suggest him and Arteta are, are best buddies or anything. What, mm. what do you think? Well, I mean, I think the line that they used on commentary during the Community Shield was that some of the players who weren't present were, you know, not quite at the right fitness level or whatever it yeah. might be. And it just occurred, you know, to me straight away, what else has Matteo Genduzzi got to do other than stay fit and be fit and be available? You know, he hasn't played since the Brighton game. You know, I yeah. know there's match fitness and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, there's no reason why he should have been in any way fatigued because of the fact he didn't play. You know, some of the players who, who who played in that game have only had a few weeks off. They played a lot of football in a very short space of time. You can understand why they might have some physical issues or why they might need a bit of time or you might need to ease them back in. That's not the case with Genduzi. And I feel like if he were really um, going to be rehabilitated, I think he would have been in the squad. Yeah, I agree with you, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, that will be another one to watch in the next few weeks. Uh, what about this? We sort of half touched on this, but I think it's interesting from but Perfect Arse. Perfect Arse. Perfect Arse with a TH. I okay. keep saying it. Perfect Arse. Perfect Arse. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, they ask on the Discord, do you think the fact that Ainsley Maitland-Niles... Hector Bellerin and Emmy Martinez are pretty much the heart and soul of the club, is playing into decisions on whether to keep or sell them. It feels like we lost a bit of that in the Emery era. Um, and it concerns we may repeat concerns me we may repeat history here. Oh, 
heart and soul of the club. Um, I guess I mean, in the case of Ainsley Bettinelles and Martinez particularly, do you think the fact that they are kind of... Well, Hector as well, in fairness. Yeah, you know, yeah the club players since, who've come yeah. through. I think his future's maybe less debated is why I, I, right. I exclude him okay. there. But, you know, do you think the, the fact that they're academy players means we... Uh, rate them any differently? Well, you tell me because you're the romantic. Sure. You know, the, I mean, I, I can is... tell you that straight away. Yes, I do, because <laughs> I am a romantic. Yeah, because we want these guys to come through and we want them to succeed. And, and you know, when a, a, a guy grows up at a football club and makes his breakthrough and, you know, plays a hundred odd games as Ainsley Maitland-Niles has played, you know, it is, there's something really nice and you can connect to that story. I do wonder if sometimes the idea of you know, um, being a real Arsenal man is slightly overplayed um, in, if you're going to be really clinical about how you look at things. I mean, it's a nice idea, isn't it? That this guy, he understands the club. He knows the club. He, he knows what it means to wear that badge, to wear the cannon, the red and white and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But then so do you. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm I'm not giving you a three year deal. And equally, <laughs> plenty of players turned up. You know, Ian Wright and Dennis Burkamp were about 28 when they rocked up at Arsenal, and they felt very Arsenal very quickly. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of yeah. like you can what a player does in their time with the club comes to mean more than their heritage. Yeah, I think so. It's ultimately it's about the quality that you have. Um, And if your greatest quality is loving Arsenal, then, you know, we'd have a team full of people like us, which wouldn't be any good. That would be terrible. Nobody (laughs) wants that. (laughs) It would be funny. It would be funny. Oh, it'd be funny. It'd be funny in, like, the Community Shield, but not in a Premier League game. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, So, look, I think, you know, there's some of that, but I don't think that's why you make decisions. Fair. All right. Here's one from Flanny Balls, who says, who is going to be the unexpected star of the forthcoming season? Oof. Uh, Do they mean at Arsenal? I guess so. Who gives a fuck about anyone else? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Well, PFA Player of the Year uh, 2020-21, Mohamed Alneni, surely. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I mean, did you think, by the way, do you, are you sort of joining me in my camp of maybe El Nene is a decent squad well, player? We talked season? about it on Friday on the, on the yeah. podcast when we had the midfield discussion. I think, you know, it, it could work out that way. It could work out that way that you've got an experienced international in the squad who can come in and do a seven out of 10 job for you most of the time. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. What you know? could be more romantic? Than, than that, that. Uh, exactly. I, I, serious answers. It's hard to know, isn't it? Because so many yeah. young players have made the breakthrough that it feels like we've got our quota of them for the time being. Like it's going to take something really, really special for a young player to come through and and um, and, and yeah, make it's, that. I, it's I, tough. The one, the one that I, I suppose that you would point to without trying to heap all the pressure in the world on him is is William Saliba and even that's even that's there's a measure of expectation about him isn't there because this is who's going to be the unexpected star you know I think it's I think it's very difficult for somebody to become an unexpected star because we know so much about the young players at the club right now yeah I mean 
I might be wrong about this one. And, and you know, he's cost a fair whack in wages. But I think Willian might be a bit better this season than we maybe fear. I think, I think he and might we be fear. useful. <laughs> than we fear. <laughs> what a way to feel about a new signing. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. But I, I genuinely think that our cynicism about it, you know, is, is correct. But I think... He might be quite good. Mm. So we'll see. Um, what about this? Rydog on the uh, Patreon, actually Rydog with a W, says, Looking at the roster, I've concluded that Arteta is probably the best midfielder at the club. So are there <laughs> any rules against managers playing? And if not, should he just start himself? Player manager. Player manager, Mikel Arteta. I love a player manager. You don't see enough player managers these days. No. I mean, it's such a crazy thing, really, when you think about it, isn't it? Player manager. Chelsea had loads in the 90s. Didn't 90s, they? they had, yeah. like, Hoddle, and then they had... Hullet. Uh, Hullet. Viali was, was player Viali manager Was Viali a player well. manager as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mad. <laughs> it is it mad. Is mad. It seems mad in the in, in the sort of modern era, doesn't it? It does a bit. It does a um, bit. What uh, was the question? I don't uh, know. Oh, midfield. Are you worried about midfield? By the way, I've, I sense on the social medias. You won't believe this, of course, but there is a bit of panic and hysteria emerging uh, about uh, our lack of purchases in midfield on social media. I know. Really, this uh, this playground of sensible, <laughs> considered, moderate reaction. I'm very surprised to hear that, to be honest. Uh, um, am I worried? Not look. Do I think we need new players? Yes, but do I think that Mikel Arteta knows we need need new players? Also, yes. Hmm. So I think and also um, Mohamed El Neni. Don't forget Mohamed El Neni. How well. could I? How could I? Um, I'm not that worried yet because I do feel like it's an area that they know they have to do something with. And I'm slightly encouraged by, even if the the links are spurious, um, I'm slightly encouraged by some of the names that we're being linked with because of the profiles they have as players and what they might be, they or a facsimile of them might be able to bring to the team if we sign them. If El Nenny, <laughs> Genduzi. Louise and William all stay. Will we have the highest volume of hair in the Premier League? El Nenny, Louise, William, and Gad- I think so. I think it's so. A, that, you know, that'd be quite a bold set of hairstyles, wouldn't it, for one team? It would. It would. Now yeah, I can only picture them as, you know... Um, three small boys on each other's shoulders going into a cinema. You know that one with a coat around them? <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know why that's in my head, but there you go. A uh, couple of very quick ones to finish. Go on. Joe, who's at Red and White 11, says, do you think we could see Arsene back at the Emirates this season? I know it was too raw for him to begin with. And then he said not going back because of certain people. Uh, he says, i.e. Raul. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But he says it would be nice to have him back around the club again. Well, he's got a book to promote, mm. so he, he might turn up, yeah, and do a, do, do a little signing or something at the Armoury. Now, I, I hope so. I do hope so. I think it, you know, knowing Arsenal like we do, I think going back to Arsenal would be painful for him in some respects. But 
there is a bit of distance now. And whenever he does come back, I think he's pretty assured of a really positive reception. So let's hope he does come back and let's hope it's a time when there's some, at least um, some fans there to welcome him. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think it has to be um, in line or at the same time as fans are allowed back into the stadium, you know. But I, I, I do, you know, I feel... I know why he didn't come back. I know why he, you know, respected the kind of onerous task that Unai Emery had in in terms of following in his footsteps. Mm. You know, even if his, um, you know, things had uh, diminished a little bit in his final years and and what have you, you know, just as a presence, he is a very difficult man to replace. So I can understand why he stayed away um, from that point of view. And maybe with uh, Mikel Arteta, who's his former captain, and, and Arteta has spoken, hasn't he, about how, how, He's been in touch with Arte, or Arsene Wenger and they've spoken a number of times. I think that connection will probably help as well. Mm, I'd like to think so. Mm. Uh, final one, Roger Barra. At Roger Barra, he said, Morning, chaps. Can you both articulate your feelings about this coming season compared to this time last year, i.e. just before the start of the season proper? <sighs> wow. <Well. laughs> um, I think... It's actually very hard for me to get my thoughts in order about this season, to be honest, just because of the proximity to last season and how different the whole landscape of the bloody world is, to be honest, Mm. uh, than it was 12 months ago. From a footballing perspective, I do feel a lot better about it and I have a lot more faith in some of the key decision makers. Um, And that's why I'm sort of able to... I guess, kind of feel relatively relaxed, even, you know, a lot of work is still to be done on this team and on this squad. Yeah. So, yeah, I I definitely feel more positive, even if I would say I'm not convinced our chances of, you know, I don't know, being in top four, for example, are substantially higher because I think last 12 months ago, even though we weren't in a particularly good shape, other teams were in a bit of chaos as well and had their own issues. Mm. I think other teams have progressed more in the last 12 months than us, potentially. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like the trajectory is positive. It might just not be as steep as I might hope. Okay, that's fair enough. I mean, I think I, I, I feel positive, but without... I mean, I had sort of... Um, reservations about how the end of last season was going to impact us Mm. going into the new season because of you know how badly it ended in the Premier League and the the Baku uh shitstorm um and it's very much the opposite this time it kind of is but then of course as you say the world is in a very different place and the the finances the transfer market the the realities of life and football are are so much different but I I think if there is some positivity to be had it is that we have a manager who in this period of lockdown of COVID of pandemic of of just surreal weird life has managed to achieve things in spite of all that and you know having come to terms with a squad and inherited a squad with all the problems that it had etc etc he has still um, achieved things and cultivated an atmosphere of of positivity for the most part around the club and and what it's doing so we have all these challenges but we also appear to have somebody who's quite well able to deal with them 
Absolutely. And also, you know, something that was said when Mikel Arteta was appointed, and to an extent when you know Emery was appointed, is that, you know, Arsenal need a bit of patience, really, mm. particularly with Arteta, as he's such a promising but inexperienced coach. And I think that while we've massively enjoyed some huge highs already, um, in a funny kind of way, that the way that the global landscape has shifted and the pandemic and things like that, you know, that does lend a different perspective maybe on sport and it, I think it might curiously kind of allow some of that patience to mm. foster in a way that it might not have before I know that sounds like I'm trying to put a positive spin on a pandemic which I'm mm. not but I do think that um yeah that the environment is a little bit different for Arteta now and maybe the degree of understanding that he will receive yeah. uh might be a bit different too so I, I, I basically I'm looking forward to the new season I just can't believe it's quite so soon yeah okay well look we've got internationals this week and um after that we start preparing for the new season so it's it's going to happen uh, pretty quickly as things do mm-hmm. time flies when you're having fun and all that but anyway look we'll leave it there for this week thank you as ever for being here we really appreciate your uh your subscriptions your support your sharing uh, and all the rest hope you enjoyed the show and we will catch you on the next one bye bye Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.